0: this is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen and amen. So it's been a a while since we've actually gotten back to a series of teachings uh, on Wednesday, I believe before the Pastor Appreciation, the Truth series that we did, uh, we were on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We had just recently finished up the Sermon on the Mount and we are now going to move forward uh, and embark on a new series of teaching and I'm going to be uh, in, endeavoring to to lead the, the way this evening and the, the subject is going to be how to stay prepared and avoid distractions. And my subtitle is going to be Beware beware the Snare. Okay, how to stay prepared and avoid distractions. Beware the Snare. So if you will, I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 uh, and Psalm chapter 31. And those will be our two uh, Foundation scriptures that we'll be starting off here. Some things that we just have to get under, we have to understand here before we, you know, we, before we're able to stay prepared and avoid these distractions. So, we're going to go to again to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and then go ahead and mark Psalm 31, uh, verse 14 and 15. And actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Uh, And then I'm going to jump to Psalm 31 Because the way the Lord gave it to me This is how he gave it to me And it runs right back into each other So I'm going to read those And we'll start from there So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 Verse 1 And it says To everything there is a season And a time to every purpose under the heaven A time to be born And a time to die A time to plant And a time to pluck up that which is planted A time to kill And a time to heal A time to break down And a time to build up a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and... And a time of peace What profit has he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail Which God hath given to the sons of men To be exercised in it He hath made everything beautiful in his time Jump over to Psalm 31 verse 14 I'm going to say that again Verse 11 He hath made And it's verse 11 And I'm just doing the A part here He hath made And I'm going to make I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm going to make that Psalms 31 verse 14 and 15 personal so, verse 11 again, it says, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. So I trusted in Thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in Thy hand. All right, we're going to stop there. And, you know, I, w- I want to touch on these things in Ecclesiastes. All these things He mentioned, He mentioned a bunch of different things, what is a time for, because in life, these things, you're going to experience them all. He, w- he wants you to know that. You know, and God says there's a time and a season for all of it. Now the distraction is when we forget that our times and our seasons are in his hands. Because he governs times. He's the Lord. He's the one who gives us time. He dispensates time and seasons to us. He has an expected end for his children. And we have to allow him to walk us hand in hand to that end. That's trusting him in those times. We have to keep our eyes on Christ so that we have nothing that comes in our way. Any of these things that happen, he said, don't let that distract you. There's a time for all of that under the sun. Just keep your eye focused. That means I I have to trust him in my good times. I have to trust him in my bad times. I have to trust him when I'm happy. I have to trust him when I'm sad. I have to trust him through all my emotions, through all of my circumstances. We we can't allow our heart to be turned away from him, for he sees our tomorrows. We can't allow our feelings or our emotions to get the best of us, where we we act out out of, instead of considering God before we make our next move. We start beholding these things before we consider God. And, and we, when we don't consider Him first, that's how we get out of purpose. That's how we get out of the cycle of grace and we're, we're back into these fleshly cycles that we can't seem to break. And you know, this is, this is something really prevalent. You know, it's, it, never, I'm never, you know I mean, it never ceases to amaze me that God puts these things together because those type of things are especially prevalent during this time, you know, the holiday season. Distractions coming up, left and right. And, you know, I think about distractions. Sometimes, you know, you can be distracted by a thing and you think, but it's a good thing. And it's a good intention. And for example, in this holiday season, you may think, you know what, I, I want to I do this and that for my family. I want to spend this little extra money or I want to do this for my family. And then, you know what, we'll just worry about the rest in, in, in January. Let's just have a happy holiday. Now, now, now. Let me tell you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good time with your family. Those are good intentions. There's nothing wrong with wanting to to spend a little extra on your family. But when you do these things without considering God first, without considering the consequences, because God is going to always tell you when you when you abide, when you dwell in that secret place, when you do these things without considering Him first, I'm telling you that that's that's how you. Uh, you forget that he's in control of your times. You forget that he has his hands on you. These things are going to come. He knows what you want. He knows your desires. He knows that, listen, he knows that you celebrate Christmas every year. He knows about your holiday season. He knows about your heart around the holiday season too because you know what we celebrate Christmas for, right? But that's not, that's not the subject. But he knows your heart. He knows you want to make things good for your family. Listen, there's a time and a season for all that. Put your life in his hands. Talk to him about it. You have to remember, God is in control of my times. Otherwise, I'm liable to get distracted. I'm liable to make a mistake. That's why we have to renew our minds daily, because if we don't, we get lulled to sleep. And then we get pulled in by the, the, the old ways, and the old, things, old, 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 old ways we used to do things. You know, like, well, it's the holidays, let's just do it. Let's live it up. And, and that's the snare. That's the trick of the enemy. The scripture tells us that Satan desires to have us, that he might sift us like wheat. Now, when sifting grain, one, one's trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, the chaff, is the, those are the dried up husks. The, 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 the grains that got burned up by the sun usually they blow away with the wind and that's what the, that's the enemy what he's trying to do he's trying to sift us and see he, he wants to leave us as the chaff and not the wheat and this sifting process he has for us is far more cunning than we realize it's less obvious than it seems let's turn over to Psalm Psalm 91 chapter 91. This is a very known, well known scripture, and it's amazing, you know, <laughs> spending time with this, what God will show you. Psalm 91, and I'm actually going to read the whole chapter here real quickly, but then I'm going to come back to a focus here. So, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Hallelujah. So, again, the devil wants to sift us. And there is a, there's a sifting process. And I want to focus on a specific verse here. And we are going to touch, during this teaching, we are going to touch on this whole chapter. But the specific verse that I want to talk to you about, because we're talking about distractions and the snares of the enemy, is verse 3. So I'm going to read that again. It says, Surely... He will deliver me. I'm sorry. Surely he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and the noisome pestilence. And what I want to pull out here is the snare of the fowler. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. You know, those four words. I never looked at them like this because God, God puts things in the Bible for a reason, right? We, the snare of the fowler. He wants you to look at the fowler and see how the fowler traps the birds. Okay, because he is putting this in the scriptures so that we can understand this is how the enemy works. This is how the enemy is going to come at you. And so we need to be ready. Okay, so the focus again of this teaching is going to be the snare of the fowler. Because it's through these snares that the enemy sifts the believers. He presents and persuades based on our own temptations and desires. And there's no way he can draw you in if it isn't something that you're interested in. Like I said, it's based on your own desires. And he does it in a way that you might think it's right. He does it in a way that you might think it's good. It's not like the devil that that the books portray. He's he's all black or all red with a pitchfork and a horn. No, he's going to look like your best friend. He's subtle. He knows how to sneak in through the cracks. That's the enemy. Therefore, we have to be fully equipped to deal with the snare of the fowler. So I have two simple objectives during this teaching. And the first one is going to be to identify what the snare of the fowler is, plain and simple. We're going to identify what the snare of the fowler is, how it operates, its inner workings. We're going to identify that. And then number two, simply we're going to to find out how do I avoid the snare of the fowler. So again... Our two objectives are to identify what the snare of the fowler is. And number two is how do I avoid the snare of the fowler? So first and foremost, to understand the snare of the fowler, we're going to look at at these words naturally and compare them to the scripture spiritually. So first and foremost, I want to define what a snare is. Okay, so a snare, simply put, is a trap or a device used to surprise, entangle, confuse, capture, devour, and destroy the ensnared. I'm going to say that again. A snare is a trap or a device used to surprise, entangle, confuse, capture, devour, and destroy the ensnared. A snare can look small. It can look big. It can look insignificant. It can even look like it doesn't exist. But the end result of the set snare will be the big fall. The, the 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 end result of any snare is for you to be overtaken so that you can be devoured so that you can be sifted so I want you to remember that our adversary as a roaring lion he walks about seeking who he may devour that's his business he's trying to see who he can get off of the purpose of God you know I guess maybe I'm I'm like my father, but I like to watch nature shows, and my wife will tell you we have the all the apps on our Apple TV, and I have the, the nature shows lined up in all of them, and I really like the big cats. What can I say, right? So I, I always watch the lions and how they hunt, and it's always so meticulous. It's always so methodical. They always end up flanking and surrounding their enemies, and it, it's amazing to me that every single one of them, when they start set off to run, they already start sifting with the eyes, and you know what they're looking for? They're looking for the weak first. They're looking for the chaff. That's what they, and that's what. Now, don't get me wrong; they'll go for big prey, but we're going to look for the. We're trying to sift them like wheat. We're trying to get as many as we can. We're trying to get on top of this game while we can. You know, and that's that's the things that come to mind when I when I think about the adversary trying to sift us like we walking about as a roaring lion. That's that's real imagery there for you. That's how lions do. And they will attack. Listen, they'll attack you I don't want you to get too too big in your britches. or think that you're so spiritual that the enemy won't come at you. He's coming at everybody. That's the trap too. That's the snare too. He is coming for everybody. But like I said, he'll sift through. He's trying to see who I can get out the door quickly. Just like that, looking for the weak first. They surround them, then they attack to devour them. So in our case. A snare is set before us to distract us from God's plan. God's plan is truth. The enemy's plan is deception and destruction. And, and, and it's amazing that the enemy might use, try to use truth to get you to that place of deception and destruction. And we'll see some of that as well tonight. But always know this, that Satan is like a fowler. He's always attempting to snare us. Always attempting to destroy us. For the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. So if he can get you to get your eyes off Christ, he's going to go for that kill. So simply put, a snare is a distraction designed to entrap you. Their sole purpose is to render the prey helpless and remove any chance of escape. Snares are deliberate. They're designed, they're premeditated, they're planned, and they're implemented with intent. They are made to to finish the purpose of the fowler. No matter what you see, it's made to have you devoured. the fowler desires to, to, to rob to rob the bird of its freedom <laughs> that's, that's I was looking up a, the, the, the word snare and I was looking up antonyms for it you know opposites for it and freedom was one of that words. That, that, that should tell you so much about the enemy the enemy desires to enslave you he wants to take away your freedom that you have in Christ he wants to move you and now he can't but he wants to move you off of that you have to relinquish that that's why all he does is presents and persuades. So we talked about a snare. Now I want to I kind of touch on what a fowler is. And we'll talk about it naturally here first and kind of do a little mixture of, of spiritual with it. But, so what a fowler is, because I don't want to assume that everybody understands what a fowler is. A fowler is a skilled, patient, and experienced hunter who studies his victims intensely and accurately, Before launching an attack. Listen. He knows what they eat. He knows what they drink. What path they take in the morning. What they like. Who they like. If they have offspring. He knows them inside. I'm talking about birds right now. The fowler knows that all about birds. But Satan the fowler knows that about you too. They know everything they need to know about that particular bird before they make the trap. Not before they set it, before they even make the trap for it. I mean, by the time you even recognize the fowler, there's probably more than likely one or two traps already set for you. Now naturally, almost 100% of the time, almost 100% of the time, the fowler is indiscernible or invisible to its victim. That means the victim has no reason to suspect. I want you to keep these things in the mind about the fowler because Satan is the fowler. That's why I I was saying earlier, I don't want you to get caught up in in what the world's perception of of, of, the the word is and of of God and of, of Satan is. I don't want you to get caught up in that because that's the trap too. So now let's actually go, we've we, we kind of explore what a snare is and what a fowler is. Let's look what the snare of the fowler is. So first and foremost, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the snare of the fowler is, it's rooted in secrecy. And watching and studying the fowler over the past few weeks, the past couple weeks, they, they never set a snare in the sight of the bird. It's done in secret. And then, listen, after it's set, they cover, up the, they cover up the snare. They hide it so that the attack is hidden. And if, if it's a trap that can't be covered or hidden, the fowler makes sure it looks enticing. He may put food on it, berries, pretty colors, something that catches the eye. Something that draws draws the attention off of their main focus. And by then, the bird is totally ignorant to what the intent of the, 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 the trap is. Never thinking that, that that food laid there for them is, is actually laid there for their destruction. That, that advancement there laid for them is there to get them off the purpose of God. That man or that woman that you, that you just can't leave alone, but you know is outside of the body of Christ, has put there for you to get you off the purpose of God. See, that's the, that's the, that's the subtlety of Satan the Fowler. He, he doesn't just give you black or white. He doesn't just give you trap or no trap. He gives you all the grain. He wants you to consider the gray area. He wants you to begin to reason and weigh things in your own mind. He wants you to begin reasoning and weighing things against the truth of God. That's his hidden agenda. Then once the conditions are set, he snares the prey. Many many people have said, you know what? If I knew this or that was wrong, or if I knew this is how it was going to end up, I would have never got involved. I would have never put my hands on it. The enemy's like so. The enemy doesn't have... Listen, the fowler doesn't show mercy. The fowler isn't understanding. The fowler has one goal. To devour you. It's like... the. Think of it from the birds' point of view. If they knew that that trap with all those berries or or, or seeds of grain on them was going to kill them, they would never even go by it. Especially if they knew the end was their destruction. Number two, the snare of the fowler is highly adaptable. You know, when I was was looking into the fowler and and watching on the natural side, you know, you, you don't find a fowler setting the same snare for one bird as he does another. He knows the bird he's after and he adapts his bait to it. He adapts his snare to the condition of that bird. Satan the fowler does just the same. Listen, it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. You could be a career criminal to growing up in church. He has something for everybody. It doesn't matter what your temptation is. He has something for the greedy. He has something for the prideful. He has something for the hateful. Listen, he has something for everybody. He has a snare for your different emotional states. From happy to sad to mad to frustrated to judgmental to hateful to pride. Listen, he has a to lonely. He has a he has a snare for each one of your emotional states. He has a snare for your sexual desires, your entertainment choices. He can adapt. It, it doesn't matter what you throw at him. He's like, that's fine, I can adapt. I'm just trying to sift. So, note that about the, the snare of the fowler, it's highly adaptable. Don't think that anyone's exempt. Number three, the snare of the fowler is linked with pleasure, profit, gain, and advantage. Like I said, in, in the case of the birds, the, the lure of food, seeds scattered or berries. Sometimes they see these traps, it's amazing. They, they, they know what catches the bird's eye and they set it up to look like a, a habitation form, a house form. They see these traps and they're like, well, I got me a new, I got me a vacant home. And then it baits them. Satan, again, he's the same way. He shows a person the world, or whatever, whatever seems to be the world to that person. And then he offers it to him. Could be money, could be a spouse, could be whatever. Could, could be whatever brings you pleasure. And he offers it to you. Now, uh, it's real interesting to note this, that all his offers are baseless. All he's really offering you is destruction. He'll show you the world. He'll show you what you want. He'll paint that picture for you. And then he'll offer you destruction. He tempts us with the things that the normal man wouldn't pass up. Because he wants to get a hold of us, he wants to have us in his power. You know, let, let me say this one thing just in passing. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be vigilant. I, I don't... Especially when it comes to things that please you. I'm not saying that everything that pleases you is, is a bad thing or, you know, it, that that is going to do you wrong. But be prayerful. Be watchful. Because this is how the enemy wants to get in. That's one of his snares. You know, I think of... I think of, uh, you know, we just talked about it in uh, AMC about Job with his sons, you know... It, his sons were seeking after pleasure and they were feasting and have all like that. Job couldn't, you know, even though that that's okay, Job was like, Yeah, but let me be prayerful. Let me be watchful. You know why? Because I adversary, the devil, he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So I'm not saying you have to give up all your pleasures, but be, be prayerful, especially about those things that you know please you the most. Because they can become sin for us quickly. And, and please be so, be so reminded during this this holiday season. Don't allow yourself to get caught up with the with the lights and bells and the commercialism that this world has put on it. It's the trap of the enemy. So number four, let me move forward. Number four, the snare of the fowler employs decoys. <laughs> so we all know what a, a decoy duck is, right? It's a fake duck that the follower used to, to entice other ducks to come into the snare. The enemy's no different. He often employs a decoy to lead God's people into sin. Now, I want you to note this. The devil's very careful who he chooses to be his decoys. And I want you to understand this as well, because I said it before. You can be a decoy. Anybody or anything can be a decoy if they're not abiding. Listen, anybody or anything can be a snare of the fowler if they're not abiding. So I want to clear clear some things up about you and some understanding. A believer can be snared by another believer if somebody's not abiding. The enemy will use it. He's trying to sit. If he can get a two-for-one, believe me, he's on it. But he's very careful in who he chooses. He's not going to employ somebody, especially for a believer, especially for somebody he knows is, is walking in, in the ways of God. He's not going to employ an outwardly evil-looking person, outwardly acting-looking person. He's going to employ somebody that, is very, that has the outward appearance of religion, who looks to be as the same quality of believer as you are. He'll send who you call brother. Uh, remember what I just said. If they're not abiding. See, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the Listen, he shall, surely he shall deliver them from the snare of the fowler. But you've got to be abiding. I, you know, it makes me think of a, you know, maybe a, a believer, a, a male or a female believer that are dating. Let's say somebody whose intentions wasn't really, let's say somebody started dating somebody and started going to somebody's church just to date somebody. What if their motives are ulterior? They, let's say they go to all the services with you. They had family life class. They had prayer with you in the morning. And then you catch them one time and they're trying to do something else with you. But now you've built this, this Christian relationship with this person. The snare. Well, how, how, do we, how are we supposed to decipher these things? I, I just told you, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. And don't worry, we're going to get to that a little bit later more. But understand this thing. You need to abide. So now, next question I have here is, how does Satan the fowler set the snare? Because there is a clear pattern that God gives us. And it's actually, it's, the, the pattern is all over the Bible. And you will see it over the next few weeks and you're going to see it tonight too. But there's a clear pattern. So if you will, turn over to James chapter 1. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's through the pattern of temptation. But see, there's, even through that pattern, that's a, a specific set pattern. So go ahead and go over to James chapter 1. And I'm going to give you a piece of it here. And I want you to understand the piece of it. This is not all of it. Because we're going to get into an example and you'll hear the rest of it. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. How does Satan the fowler set the snare? Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then... When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So, we're drawn away with our own lust. We're enticed with our own lust. With our own temptation. That's why I said, you have to abide. Because God knows your lusts. He knows your own temptations. He knows what can draw you away. So you have to abide in Christ. So how does the fowler tempt us? And like I said, there's a little bit more to this this pattern of temptation that we're going to find. So let's turn over to Genesis chapter 3. We're getting somewhere. We're getting to where I want to be. Genesis chapter 3. How does the fowler tempt us? So I'm going to read, starting at verse 1 through 6. For God doth not know that in the day ye eat thereof I'm sorry, for God does not know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to to de- be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. <coughs> So now we're all familiar with how this this instance in the Bible goes. But I believe it's important how we see the, the fowlers use his snare against God's people. See, Eve followed the pattern that we read in the New Testament. okay? And that gives us a clue as to the pattern of the snare. So here we go here. First, she saw that the tree was good for food. That it was a delight to the eye. And finally, that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Now, that should, be, that should sound familiar too. See, she was tempted in three distinct areas. Body, soul, and spirit. <laughs> the first with food, the flesh. Then with the eyes, which is the mind. Then with wisdom, which is your spiritual pride. Look at this over here in 1 John, chapter 2. Because here's the rest of the pattern for you. Chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. So, so what was Eve's pattern again? When the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was the lust of the flesh. And it was a delight to the eyes, it's the lust of the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise, that's that boastful pride of life. Right there. That's the, that's the pattern there. He's going to come at you through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The pattern hasn't changed to this day. The enemy appeals to our fleshy nature through the lust of the flesh, through the lust of the eyes, through the pride of life. That's the pattern. He did the same things to Eve that he does to us. Now, I want you to say, before you say how strong you are or how you can see this type of sin coming from a mile, I want you to consider this. Eve hadn't even sinned yet. She hadn't even fallen yet. she hadn't bit the fruit. Once the enemy appealed to her mind and she started reasoning and entertaining his suggestions, that's when she was gone. I want you to understand that Satan wasn't appealing to a fallen sinful human being. He was appealing to somebody who was in relationship with God. <laughs> Eve had no sin at this point in time. <laughs> Take your time. Let that settle in. Let's, Because let's, I want you to try to understand and comprehend the level of deception at work here. Because the, the fowler is, uh, I'm telling you, he's so deceiving. He found a way to deceive to to to, to appeal to the very essence of who Eve is, to appeal to her spirit. Just as he did to angels who left him and and fell from heaven. He found a way. Eve didn't have any sin. He had no faults that that he could have she had no faults that he could accuse her of, yet he found a way to get to her. He appealed to her mind. He appealed to her reasoning. I'm going to tell you how he did it. The serpent said to the woman, "You will not die. You, sh- you surely won't die." <laughs> What's he doing here? He's planning doubt about the character of God in her mind, right off the bat, so he can get her to disobey God's word. He began, he "You're not going to die." And then she, her her reason is that she starts wondering. She already knew clearly she wasn't supposed to eat the fruit. But she did it anyway. The snare, I tell you. So if Eve wasn't in a fallen state at this point, how did the enemy find an opening to attack? Now, jump right back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Because there's a little bit, and you can understand the, the answer to that question. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress him to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou shalt eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So, Eve wasn't present at this time, so we know she didn't get the command from God. We know she got it from Adam. But we do know she got the command. So herein lies the problem that we all face. Once you receive the word of God, because let me tell you, the enemy planted this doubt in her head, and, and what she was really saying is you should doubt the word of God that God gave to your husband. So here's the, here's the problem that lies with that. Because I said, you must abide. You have to know the word of God for yourself. Once he brings his word to you, you need to take up resonance with his word. See, Adam and Eve told her this, but I'm telling you, by their actions, they didn't take up resonance. Listen, they were swayed. He got them to reason their their way out of the truth which God had already given. And what's really amazing to me is when this was happening, Adam was right there. And he didn't say a word. Because he was reasoned out of it. We have to hear the word of God and know it for ourselves so that we don't fall into the snare of the enemy. Adam should have spoke up right there and said, "Hold up, wait," because we know the word of God. Eve should have said something to the to the to the serpent; she knew it as well. But the appeal to the reasoning. Consider this. Look at this gray area, though. He ain't gonna surely die. He just don't want you to be like him. He ain't gonna surely die reason so subtle just just a few little words you should not surely die raise a question i i i start to doubt god now that's the subtlety of the enemy See, so i'm telling you it's it's quick and easy and, and don't judge adam and eve cuz it's quick and easy for anybody to get caught up all you have to do is start giving something just a little more time and a little more loyalty and a little a little A little more discipleship than you give to God. Next thing you know, that something else or somebody else, they have your opinion. And God no longer does. Now let's take another look. Let's take another look at the instance of the enemy trying to snare someone. I love this instance here. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 4. And we're actually going to spend a lot of time here. Hopefully we'll get to the end of it today. If not, we will be back next week. Matthew chapter 4. And again, we're still just talking about the snare of the fowler. What it is, how to recognize it. And again, next week when we come back, we will talk about about abiding. We'll talk about dwelling. We'll talk about how to avoid the snare of the fowler. So Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to start, let's see here, verse 1. Then was Jesus, led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I had to stop right there. He was led up of the Spirit to be tempted? This is, let me, let me, I just want to help everybody as well. Because this is one of the biggest snares that will catch, you know, believers off guard. When you get yourself into situations, well, not get yourself into situations, but when you run into troubles or trials or tests in this life, you know, they begin to think, well, I can only be, I can only be experiencing this because God has abandoned me or I've missed something with God or something's going wrong. But as a believer, there's going to always be a pruning process. I want you to understand, just like we learned in, in, a, in AMC class, listen, you're not going to be, there's going to always be a test to see if you say, if you're going to do what you say you're going to do, if you're going to be who you say you are. So yes, Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward in hunger. I have to stop there too. Because this just shows you, it shows you his ability just to rely on God. Because it said, after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So this is what I want you to get from that. During those 40 days and 40 nights, God provided. He wasn't hungry during those 40 days and 40 nights. It says afterwards, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, "If thou be the son of God." I... Oh gosh. I have to stop right there, right? Because do you catch the subtlety of his language here? He's he, he's he's with him right there saying If you're the son of God and then what did he say? He says, Command I'm sorry. Let me find it. If thou be the son of God, command these stones be made that these stones be made bread. He said, If thou be the son of God, is it to say You know the the Son of God who is how could the Son of God who's who's heir to all things be reduced to this type of hunger? If God is your father, surely He wouldn't let you get this hungry. See, these are all subtleties. These are just a few. If thou be the Son of God, He's trying to raise doubt already. Do you hear his terminology? If God is your father, surely he wouldn't let you starve. But then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He had been out there for 40 days and 40 nights, and guess what? He hadn't starved. remember that the snare of the fowler is to devour and overthrow you and, and not only that it's to devour and overthrow your relationship to God <laughs> he wants to ruin your he wants to ruin your relationship to him as son he wants to to ruin his in your mind his relationship to you as father Because when you don't look at him as, you think about your father. If if it's not your father, listen, if you don't look at him as father, you're going to cut off your trust to him. You're going to cut off your dependence on him. You're going to cut off your obedience to him. There will be no abiding. He wants to ruin that relationship. He wants the people of God to question their sonship. He wants us to question our faith. Just like the beginning. Surely you won't do this. Surely you won't die. As if we don't, because he wants to make, he wants us to, he wants to be like, you don't, this ain't the type of God that you're supposed to be serving. That's not the God that's loving, but listen, a father, God the father, a father is shown when they chastise their children. Those are the things you, see that's a snare too. The enemy wants to get you off of that. Again, like I said, prudent hurts. But it's for a purpose. So that you can yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And then he said, command these stones to be made bread. Now he's telling them, okay, if you're the son of God, prove it prove it. Show a sign. He doesn't say, look, he doesn't say, pray to the Father that these stones be turned to bread. No, he said you command them to to, to be bread. He wanted to paint a picture that God had forsaken you, so you have to do this on your own. Because aren't you the Son of God, but you're starving? Command him to turn to bread. Do it on your own. Make it happen for yourself. Don't worry about the will of the Father. He's not your father anyway. If he can bring I tell you, if he can bring us off our dependence on God and, th- and think that we need to be self sufficient, the snare is set. and then let's see in verse 4 how Christ replied but he answered and said it is written now I have to stop there before I keep going because that's that's so pertinent he he responded to the temptation with it is written now listen he's the eternal son of God he could bring scripture to his mind like that but it was important that he said it is written (laughs) You know what that means? To know if it's written, you have to read it. You have to abide in the word of God. He put honor on the word of God because he said it first. He didn't just go to, he said, but it's written. The, The truth is only in God's word. You have to read it to find out what's written, to get an understanding, to apply it, to walk in his precepts. Study to show thyself approved. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And, and, and the devil himself would have to supply himself for bread. Listen, like I said before, after God had just sustained him for 40, 40 some odd days. And note, after he was hungry, that's when the, the enemy came to him. Just like he sustained Israel with manna from heaven. That's where that scripture, that's where that reference, where it is written comes from. Like he sustained Elijah with with the bread from the ravens. With the meals from the widow. God provides. There's no need for Christ or us to live by bread alone. There's no need to turn stones to bread. We just got to keep trusting God and live according to his word. See, I'm telling you, that the devil tries to, let me put it to you like this. I'd rather live poorly and live on God's goodness than have everything I need and be snared in my soul. That's what you have to understand. Listen, I think about whether I'm a base, whether I'm a bad, listen, it doesn't matter. I'd rather be in the, because my times are in the hands of God. He knows all things, he knows my tomorrow. He has, he, he has an expected end for me. He knows my name, he holds my hand. So I'm just going to trust him. Now let's look at the second temptation here. Verse 5, it says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. i got to stop right there. I want you to see just how crafty the fowler is. It says he put him on a pinnacle of a temple. Now, you know, there's a lot of uh, argument and debate which pinnacle of the temple they're talking about. I didn't even go that far into it. I just wanted to see what a pinnacle of the temples in Jerusalem look like. So I want you to understand, a pinnacle is a very high place. And it's at the corner of a courtyard, right above an open courtyard where thousands of people come to worship. So I want you to understand this. Satan and Jesus weren't there by themselves. He's in the holy city at the temple on the pinnacle. In the pinnacle, uh, listen, not only people that come to worship there, but people that come to visit, even nowadays I look it up, people that come to visit go and just look at the pinnacles as, as sights of wonder because they're so high. They just sit there and they just look at it. So Satan said, well, let's go over here. Let's go to a pinnacle in the holy city. You know, right, right above the courtyard where thousands of people worship." He took him to this public place intending to try to get Jesus to show his power. <laughs> In front of everybody. To prove that he was the son of God for some sort of fame or to say like, well, you can get your job done early. Just come show you the son of God right now and get all of them to believe. He, he, did, he took him to this high place. And, and this, is, this is one thing I also want you to notice. His first, the first time he came to Jesus' attention, he was by himself. This place is out in the public. See, I'm telling you, he'll adapt. He doesn't care. He is on his, he's relentless. Now, let me tell you, there's no way he, there's no way he could snare or trap Jesus. You know, I guess he was doing what he called his due diligence, I guess, and trying to do what he could do. There was no way that was going to happen, but he has been really this is how he comes to Jesus it's just the way he comes. Because I want to I want to tell you something about these temptations, and we'll go into more of them here in a second, but all of them around the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Go up here in front of all these people and let them see who you are. It's the same pattern. He's a one he's truthfully and honestly a one trick pony. But he's conniving, he's crafty, he's subtle. So it says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, Here it is again, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest, thy, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. I, I'm going to tell you something about this enemy. He, he's sharp. Now, I'm not saying this is going to work on Jesus, but he went to the scriptures. But, but I'm going to tell you something. though. You can always tell the enemy, though. Uh, and, and we'll see that here. So he says here, if thou be the Son of God, then show the world right now and prove it. Cast thyself down. That's what he told. And I want you to note this. The devil said, cast thyself down. Because the devil can't cast him down. Uh, you think about though being at the top of a pinnacle. Any little thing could have knocked anybody off. Any little wind that blow been up there could knock him off, but the devil couldn't. The power of Satan is limited. Again, what I want, what I want you to understand about the snare of the fowler, all he can do is present and persuade. That's why he told him, cast yourself down. Understand, whatever sin you've been snared in, you've done it. You've deceived yourself from the truth. He can't force you. He can only say to you, cast yourself down. But you have to cast yourself down. Then again, the devil tried to to back his challenge with scripture. Then he tried to do it, for it is written. Listen. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. Now I want you to understand this. The, the knowledge that the devil has of scripture increases their deception. It really does. Because he can use scripture to deceive you if you don't know the word for yourself. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the living word knows the word. And, and he didn't even correct him, because I'm going to tell you right now, the devil misquoted that scripture. On uh, on purpose, because he is the deceiver and and if you were paying attention earlier we went to that scripture in Psalm 91 let's let's see what it says Psalm 91 I believe it's verse 11 let me see Job's Psalm okay Psalm 91 it says yes it says for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee And then the devil left out in all thy ways. (laughs) He left out in all thy ways. See, the scripture is that they shall keep thee, but how? In all thy ways and not otherwise. If we go out of our way, out of our way, uh, uh, out of our way of trusting God, we forfeit that promise. We put ourselves out of God's protection. If Christ had cast himself down, it would have been that way. He would have been out of the way. See, we, we have to know God's word for ourselves and consult it on every matter. We have to have godly knowledge so that we're not deceived. Or he tried to encourage Christ to come from under submission and, and do the opposite of God's will, and, and, and then, while doing it, he still encouraged him to rely on God's care. Isn't that crazy? He said, "Go ahead and jump off, and then surely those angels will come and 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 and, 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 and pick you up, bring you up, so that you're not dashed that foot against the stone." So, you told him to go against God's will and then rely on God to save you from it. Uh, l- let me tell you this. It's, it's no new thing in today's world for grace to be taken for granted. I'm just going to say one thing about this to move forward. But shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So shall we throw ourselves down so that the angels may bear ourselves back up? God forbid. So how did Christ overcome this temptation, a snare? Verse 7, here he is again. It is written again, that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. See, I want you to understand this. The devil's abuse of scripture didn't prevent Christ from proclaiming the truth. He quotes Deuteronomy right on it. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, and I want you to understand this as well. He's not saying that the devil shall not tempt him. He's saying, I myself shall not use God's words as an occasion to my flesh. I'm not going to continue in sin that grace may, or even sin, not continue because Christ never. I'm not going to sin that grace may abound. Christ, listen, Christ already knew that God, God is my Father. God takes care of me. He gives his angels charge concerning me. Don't, don't try to come misquoting me, the word, the living word. I don't have to prove my sonship to you at all. He is the eternal Son of God. And we'll start here next week. We'll pick up with the third temptation. And then again, we'll go from there into, you know, what's, how do we avoid these temptations? How do we avoid this pattern of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that keeps us, you know, wrapped up and snared by the enemy. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.